From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 74. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Is that it? Is that all we're going to get? Well, I'm glad you asked about my ginger beer recipe, Simon. Um, I'd be happy to give you some tasting notes. So my uh, first batch of ginger beer, I just finished off this morning. It's been fermenting for three days. Um, so as, as has been mentioned on the podcast here, I, I am no longer able to drink caffeine at least through the next six weeks or so per doctor's orders. So um, in, an, in an attempt to be not a complete surly bastard, uh, and no good to the world, which I'm not anyway, but you know, not a surly no good bastard. Um, I, I have to replace it with something. And I've been, I've been drinking a lot of ginger in the morning, like just grating it up and putting it in my, in my water, which is kind of okay. But then I'm like, you know, I could get creative with this. So I, I looked up ginger beer recipes and, um, I found one and it was really simple. And I just literally this morning uncorked uh my ginger beer and it's freaking amazing it's so good it's like a really dry it's like a dry cider like an apple if you had like a an apple cider you know an alcoholic cider um but without the alcohol and the same dryness and it's a little yeastier so it's really good i think this could be my new thing and it's gonna make me just a happy person and the sun the sun as i'm speaking has just broken broken through the trees the leaves are glowing and it's beautiful so there you go that's that's, that's fantastic and, and just at the at the risk of becoming um hamish and m's hypersensitive photographers podcast would you like to share share with us a recipe of how you're actually making that ginger beer because i quite fancy some now uh yeah actually i'm trying to think if i have the exact recipe here i'm sure i could find it um um i could probably even just do it off the top of my head pretty much so Essentially, it's it's really simple. You need um, ginger, and you need uh, some lemon. You know, for for lemon juice, um, and you need some sugar. And you can use uh, regular bread yeast. You don't have to use brewer's yeast for this, which I had on hand, so it worked out great. I had, um, you know, my I have I have bread yeast in my freezer uh, that I use when I bake bread. So it was, I, and oh, and cream of tartar. Um, and we won't, I guess we don't need to go all into what cream of tartar is, but it's, you know, it's basically a byproduct of the winemaking process and it helps to, uh, sort of leaven the, the, the yeast. Um, and it's good for, for baking applications. So essentially what you do is you, you grind up your, um, your ginger and you, um, you know, up on your, up on your stove, um, you measure out your ingredients, part of the water and the and the ginger, and you, you simmer it on the stove, and then you add the sugar in. Now, I use brown sugar um, because I just like the flavor of brown sugar more than, you know, refined white sugar. Um, and I also added, after I kind of had everything, you know, boiled and in the cooling process, you put the uh, the yeast in after the, the water has... Um, has cooled down a little bit. Otherwise you just kill the yeast right away. So the idea is just as in baking bread, as your, your, um, your temperature comes down a little bit, that's when you add the yeast in. the yeast eats the sugar 
you know, that you added. And that's how the whole fermentation process started. But I added, I, I will say, I, I'm going to go heavier on this next time, but I added um, a little bit of uh, vanilla. So real vanilla extract. And I also added about a eighth of a tablespoon of uh, masala spices. So I'm going to go much heavier on the masala next time because I it's like this kind of undertone underneath the yeastiness, which is really, really good. Um, and it works perfectly with the ginger. So I think I'm going to go heavier handed on my next batch, which is probably going to get literally started today uh, because I made up like two liters of ginger beer. And I'm going to go through this shit in like, you know, the next 24 hours. No problem. Um, because I can't drink alcohol either. So this is like, it's 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 punching all the buttons right now for me. It's really working. Well, that's a, that's a, that's great. Are you are you going to put your the recipe in the show notes for us as well, now? I I suppose I could do that, Simon. <laughs> I suppose I could do that. Um, uh, yeah, I could put a link to that in the in the show notes. I would be glad to do that. Uh, it's 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 always interesting when we when we start a show because we yeah we we have a rough idea what we're going to say and. <laughs> I didn't think we were going to be talking about ginger beer there, so uh, that's, uh, that's that's great. And um, uh, Perry, you're 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 there gobsmacked on the in in Hong Kong. Hello, and how are you doing? Uh, I think uh, all of uh, everyone listening to the podcast for the first time has just checked their phones to see, like, am I listening to the correct podcast that I thought I downloaded? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm good. Happy uh, Happy Canada Day and Happy Hong Kong SAR Day. SAO. A special administrative region of China. Technical name. The name of the holiday technically is Hong Kong Special Administrative Region Establishment Day, which doesn't have much of a ring to it compared to Canada Day. But yeah, celebratory day, sort of. I was going to say, celebrating with some riots in the streets. You know, some smash windows, a little bit of. A little bit of pepper spray, uh, yeah. <laughs> massive protests. So just another day in Hong Kong. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> have you have you been out there again uh, since since last time with your camera? Uh, I went out to one sort of mini standoff a couple of days afterwards, um, but then there, there were there have been two protests since, and one of them I was away in Taiwan, and today um, a I, I forgot it was. A public holiday so i booked myself for work in the morning uh and then in the afternoon i um i went to buy uh, an adapter so I, I didn't end up going out today but i i thought about it but you know it, it was getting kind of messy and i was like uh it's hot i don't want to get pepper sprayed on a hot day i'll, I'll sort of send my <laughs> which far. oh man well yeah i'm just 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 thinking about there with your pepper spray and, and i'm thinking because I think we, we need to go headlong into feedback from last week where I think a number of uh, our listeners wanted to actually spray you with pepper spray. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before you do that, before you do that, Simon, how's the weather in Stoke-on-Trent? Yeah, we want to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, 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 this is one of those uh, context things where people are going to know a little bit more about why I've just been asked that question later in the show. Um, but at this moment, it's overcast. It's just rained a little bit. It's quite warm. And in other words, it's 
not really that interesting, which is probably the main reason why I tend not to talk too much about the weather in Stoke-on-Trent. <laughs> but there you go. But uh, back back to um, people wanting to pepper spray you, uh, Perry, um, and not just for protesting on streets and things like that. Um, uh-huh. Last week, um, you ruffled a few feathers uh, because we were we asked asked you about your uh, cheap lenses, your cheap pick lenses, and um, a number of people took exception to uh, some of the things that you were you were you were saying there. Um, I think notably uh, Ricardo Bayon of um, Best Vintage Lens and uh, and Eric as well, Eric Sluice. Um, you know, he, he got on the uh, on this internet from from the desert island uh, to to make a few comments about cheap lenses, and he's been posting cheap lens photographs all week in the uh, in the Classic Lenses uh, podcast Facebook group. So Perry, would how would you, yeah. would you like to re- revise? Uh, perhaps what you uh, some of your comments from last 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 week. <laughs> well, let me let me clarify what my actual position is, because um, you know I did say a bunch of stuff. I made a couple of jokes, which perhaps came across as a little bit glib. Um, not that you guys are not guilty of that, but let, let's let's let me clarify. Okay, never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we've never upset people. Never. Certainly not intentionally. <laughs> so I have nothing against cheap lenses and I have a bunch of them that I really like but I don't feel qualified to recommend cheap lenses in every category because a you know I prefer rangefinder lenses because I shoot with rangefinders but b um I, I never went through that phase of buying loads and loads of lenses just because they're cheap and so I think from my own perspective in my opinion uh I prefer to recommend lenses that I think are good value for money and bang for your buck, especially when it comes to rangefinder lenses, as opposed to recommending a lens because it's cheap. Now, there are some cheap lenses that I think are outstanding and great. I'm going to throw a couple of uh, out right now because mm-hmm. Ricardo and a few others asked me for this. So in my collection, for example, um, Olympus 28mm 3.5 for OM mount. I think that's a great budget wide angle. Um, it's nice and compact. It performs well. Don't really love how it feels, but it does the job well. Uh, there's the Vivitar 28 2.5, which is not the sharpest wide angle, but I think the focus ring feels really nice, uh, and it's a good budget lens. SMC Takumar 55 1.8 uh, is my go-to M42 lens, and of course there's a Jupiter 8, which which I actually adore um, because it's a sonar and it's got like that lovely sonar character. So, just to clarify, right, if you ask me, it, it, basically, if you want to say that, like, you should buy these lenses because they're cheap, well, make sure they're good as well. Because on the flip side of that, there are also loads of lenses that are expensive and equally, if not more crap. You know, I've seen more crappy pictures out of super expensive lenses, like, um, you know, Hugo Meyer lenses and Kinoptics and stuff that are just, like, soft and glowy and, like, you can get the same effect with Vaseline. The worst of all... The worst culprit of all is the Leica Fambar 90mm f2.2, <laughs> which they have just re-released. And I think that lens is like an affront to humanity and, you know, the worst of everything that Leica stands for. Because um, the lens is a piece of crap and they charge like $6,500 for it. So there are crap lenses that are expensive. There are crap lenses that are cheap. And I'm not by no means saying all cheap lenses are crap. Right. <clears throat> 
that's I think I think we need to talk a little bit more about this this was it a fan bar. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. Tell, 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 tell tell our listeners a little bit more about, about that that uh, do that I line. do I have you? Yes. Okay. No, you, you brought it up, so come on. Just so back in the day, uh before they knew how to make good lenses, um Leica made a lens called the 90 millimeter Thambar. And this lens was basically uh, marketed as a portrait lens that had a soft, glowy look, which, you know, under the right circumstances can look nice. Um, but it is the same visual effect you would get and that photographers used to achieve by, you know, sticking a filter on the lens and then rubbing Vaseline on it, literally. Uh, and so decades pass and optical technology improves to the point where we no longer have to have lenses that are like this. And so what does Leica decide to do a couple of years ago, I think, right? But re-release the lens um, as a special edition. It costs $6,500. And if you go on Leica's website and you look at the sample pictures from this lens that they proudly show off as its optical character, uh, you're going to wonder what's up here. Yeah. <laughs> so it, oh, it, I hate this lens so much because, because, because like... It, it who is who is buying this like i have no idea who is purchasing this lens other than like ultra leica enthusiasts who will just buy any you know lenny kravitz snakeskin thing that leica releases right you know um oh, this is a rant i could go on for for ages because i think i love my leicas i love those cameras and i think leica as a company is competing against its own history um as its like primary competitor but when they release crap like this, I just look at them and go, guys, what have you become? <laughs> Make Leica great again. <laughs> right, so uh, you've, you've gone from um, justifying and appeasing the, uh, the people you upset last week and uh, <laughs> 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 upset an, an, another, another group of people. So uh, I, I guess we know what we'll be talking about first next week. <laughs> Uh, all the like a hate mail. Uh, that's cool. Send that in. I, I think. But I can. how? But how many people are there? Let's be honest. How many? How many like a thambar devotees are there out there that are going to be super pissed off? I mean, really? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, maybe this will draw them out. Send the uh, hate. Maybe. Mail. Maybe we're calling you out, thambar lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Well, okay, well, go, going going back to um, what you're saying about the uh, let's call them cheap lenses. Um, yeah. I, I prefer inexpensive, but let's let's call it cheap. That's that's the uh, derogatory term you wanted to use there. Uh, no, I don't mean it in a derogatory <laughs> way. They're, they're synonyms: cheap and inexpensive. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, it's it's interesting that you've. I, mean, I, I assume Johnny. I think Johnny would have gone through it. Many, many of us have gone through that stage, and certainly uh, Carl went through that stage. I certainly went through that mm. stage of of buying um, anything that was cheap and just seeing if it worked. Um, and, and certainly back in the early days of of using these lenses, that was a that was. Actually, I've got to say, I think that was actually one of the most fun things I've ever done uh, with with lenses. Just, just trying these these things out, and that led to an interesting, like you know, trying and larger lenses on the on mirrorless or projection lenses, and so on. And there's a there's a lot of fun to be had from that. Uh, but, oh, totally. but I, I would agree with you ultimately um, that there aren't many particularly 
inexpensive lenses that I gravitate to on a, on a, any kind of a regular basis. There are a few exceptions, um, and you know, in my case, I, I, I do actually like to use a, a Helios uh, 44 every now and again. Um, but it seems to me that you're missing out. Um, you, they may not be lenses. Well, you might surprise yourself. You might actually come across a lens that you you really really like and you never thought that you you would do. And yeah. to 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 that end, and I'll also I'll also add that these lenses we're talking about are, are invariably, uh, almost invariably SLR lenses, and that's that's an area that you know you've you've admitted that it's not really your your area of expertise, shall we say? Um, and what I'd like to do. And you can set some parameters here. Um, is to invite our listeners um, either via email or uh, talking to us in the um, the uh, what's our, what's this podcast called? Uh, Classic Lenses Podcast <laughs> Facebook group um, to come up with some suggestions of a of a cheap lens uh, for for Perry. In fact, that's that's that would be the hashtag hashtag uh, cheap lens for Perry um, and. I think if, if Perry, if you can give some kind of criteria about what it is that you would be wanting to try in terms of like focal length, but there's no point in saying, well, uh, um, a 500 5.6 Optimax or something, something like that. If that's if you're just never going to use something like that in your in your daily life, so if you can give us a, a bit of an indication in terms of focal length, perhaps, um, and you know, just quickly covering off the type of photography that you might want to do with this cheap lens, and I'm thinking that uh, you know, we've we we get donations each week uh, through through coffee, and we we can afford to buy a cheap lens so a cheap lens for perry can be bought out of our coffee money and i'm thinking that once this lens has been selected um having you've given the criteria you then have to go out and shoot this lens and make fantastic photos with it and uh, and just show how much you love it and and so on and then uh, we'll be uh, we're going to upset you after and we'll give this lens away uh, in some oh, way so um how, how does that sound Okay. Um, yeah. So there's two things I want to say to that. Um, first of all, I, that sounds really fun. Uh, in terms of criteria for sort of lenses that I haven't tried before that are that are inexpensive, uh, if you're going to recommend a lens to me, I, I would be interested in trying something that either has a very satisfying handling um, or very unique character. I'm really not interested in lenses that are just, you know sharp and cheap because i just think there are loads of those uh and i've tried quite a few you mean you mean te uh, you mean tessars no we'll, we'll get onto that <laughs> um but you know something something that's going to do something a little bit different because um the reason why i think i skipped that entire phase of buying and playing with uh cheap slr lenses is because when I was in Canada, I used to shoot birds, fashion, and landscapes, right? And I would shoot everything pretty much with a couple of Canon DSLRs and a, a suite of L lenses. Because when you're shooting fashion, you just, you know, can't be messing around with... <coughs> well, you can. I told that story about that guy who shot a fashion show with a CY100 F2. Um, but I, I was using autofocus L lenses back then. And then when I came back to Hong Kong and I became more and more of a street-focused photographer, I just naturally gravitated towards rangefinders because they suit the way that I enjoyed a sh uh, shooting on the street. So 
when I am messing around with cheap lenses, they are really weird. They're not like SLR lenses. I, I recently, for example, I had an old Chinese TLR break down on me. So I ripped the viewing lens out, attached it to a helicoid, and I've been playing with that on my Sony. Um, CCTV lenses, uh, lenses taken from fixed lens cameras that have died. I really like putting those on helicoids yeah. and playing with them. Um, so that that's the kind of stuff that, like, when it comes to using cheap lenses, I actually have quite a lot of uh, time for that kind of messing around. But for my own actual shooting, yeah, if I'm going to shoot an SLR, um, I, I have a couple of lenses for a few systems, which are, I think they're just lenses that everyone has heard of, you know, like the, the OM50s, the Nikkor 105, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, and that's why I skipped, I think, that entire experimentation phase. And also, the other thing is the market, because I, I have friends who have uh, a bunch of classic lenses, and I've borrowed a lot of uh, SLR lenses that I wouldn't otherwise have bought. But when we were when we were having this conversation the other day, I just out of curiosity, I went onto the largest uh, trading platform for lenses in Hong Kong, and I searched M42, and there were about 250 results, and about half of them were adapters. And then I searched Leica, and there were almost 2,000 results. So like that's the difference in the market and in, ter in terms of what's available here as well. Wow. Yeah, I just they're way more popular. Yeah, yeah. So I think the I will do this as just a recap. Um, if if listeners uh, could come up with some suggestions, I think uh, we'll come up with the post uh, a specific post in the Facebook group, um, and we'll put the the criteria down in 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 some kind of detail and maybe list a few. Uh, lenses that aren't okay. going to make the list simply because Perry's got it always tried it or, um, or it could be one of those lenses that one of his friends has told him to say that he read out earlier uh, because he doesn't actually know anything about them. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I have all of those that I read. <laughs> okay, um, and then yeah, so we'll 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 have a we'll get a discussion going. We might end up with a poll if we get a, a top three or, or, or whatever it is, but um, we'll sure. we'll let the group decide. And actually, this is a quick. Uh, Good, good time to actually just mention um, our our specific Facebook group because obviously we're very much associated with the photography with classic lenses, but we do have this dedicated Facebook group just for the podcast, and uh, which allows us to be you know, more more directly in, in in touch with people that are just specifically want to talk about things that be that have happened on the on the podcast. And for instance, uh, this week. Uh, we've had lots of pigeon photos to keep uh, Johnny happy, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's a there's a hashtag uh, going around at the moment uh, of uh, pigeons for Johnny, which is pretty much needs to be coming to an end. An end and uh, so uh, so we'll we'll have something happening uh, this week, no doubt that will come out of the podcast. But certainly, uh, cheap lenses for Perry is is going to be uh, a big thing, I think this 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 week. Yeah. Oh, uh, one more criteria that's really important. If you actually want me to shoot with this lens, um, nothing longer than 100 millimeters and preferably uh, 85 or shorter. 50 or shorter is even better because I like my wide angles. Like I have one lens that's longer than 100 millimeters and it's a 400 millimeter autofocus <laughs> lens. The only classic lens I've had that's longer. I, I mean, I, I've tried a whole bunch of 135s and I, I didn't like any of them. Um, the only classic lens I... I owned for a while um, was the 200 millimeter F4 SMC Takumar. And I used it once and then I thought it was terrible. 
Um, which is unusual because I like all the other SMC Taku bars I've tried. Uh, but I just didn't like the 200 at all. And so I got rid of it very quickly. Uh, just another thought. Uh, what camera are you likely to be using uh, this, this, this Wonder Lens on? Well, if it's not a rangefinder lens, then probably my Sony A7R2. Okay, so uh, I think that's useful for for people to understand uh, how the lens is get used there. If it's um, if it is OM mount or Nikon F mount or contact CY mount or M forty two or uh, I guess Alpha mount, but there's not going to be any cheap ones there. Um, then then I I will probably play with it on my film cameras. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that's uh, we'll we'll put the criteria in the group and. That'd be really interesting to see what uh, what actually comes out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. So you you mentioned you mentioned you know Tessars earlier, right, Simon? Um, and yes, I, I said some things last week that people, uh, if you if you if you were offended by anything I said, I truly apologize. Um, but I do stand by my position. But at least I respond. <laughs> to the flack that I <laughs> because there's a very long thread in the classic lenses group that's been going on for a while uh posted by ben reynolds or, or ren benolds simply asking the question can someone remind me are tessar lenses good or bad and there has been a radio silence from a certain simon forster well i think I've, I've, i may have said something similar before but um ambivalence is rarely noisy Okay, but it's the end of Pride Month. I think it's time that we all confront yeah. our prejudices. We need to confront some prejudices today, Simon. This is it. Justify yourself. Explain what you have against Tessar lenses, and we will respond. <laughs> okay. Um, it's 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 not that I dislike them. There is there is That's nothing. Such a lie. <laughs> yeah, lie number one. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's. It's not the case. I, I don't dis dislike Tessars. I'm I'm withering about them. Certainly, um, I have. Yeah, I, I I don't have too many positive things to say about them, other than things like it's really popular. You know, most mobile phones uh, have got a Tessar design. Uh, lens in them you know it's it's the most popular lens design possibly ever made as a result of uh, that you know it's a it's a it's a simple design it's one of the it's very old design that's oh, I'm, I'm boring myself now i mean it's it's, it's sharp so, so can, how, about, how about we review our uh, the known facts about about simon's tessar ambivalence okay he he likes Tessars that aren't on 35 millimeter. He yeah, likes yeah. Tessars that are in point and shoots. Yeah. He likes, I'm trying to think of other Tessars that you are on record liking. Large format. Large format. So, so essentially you, you just don't like Tessars for 35 millimeter cameras that aren't point and shoots. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So, so a, a, a point and shoot Tessar, let's say something like I have my Yashica T4 Super here in front of me that has a 35.35 Tessar on it. Great. Lens. Now, this obviously is a shit camera that nobody likes, right? <laughs> it's a great um, no, no, Right. I, but, but, but in this case, you like this Tessar. Yeah. But let's say we take that same Tessar 
and we put it on <laughs> a 35 millimeter camera that's not a point and shoot. Now it's become. Well, well it hasn't happened. an unpleasing Tessar. Well, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, that that's that's one of the points, isn't it? I mean, are there any thirty? Are there any SLR Tessar thirty-five millimeter lenses out there? I mean, yeah. or, or are there loads of them? I, I don't know actually. I mean, because they're usually uh, a wide a wide angle design. Uh, but you know, are, are they four four element Tessar designs generally? Is it a variation? Is are they something else? I don't I don't know. So I'm just gonna pull up a couple of lens diagrams for us to to chew on. Um, one second. So while while John Johnny is looking those up, it, it it's very strange to have something against a specific lens design as well because <laughs> like you know the, the glass that used matters. There are little variations. Like you know, not all sonars look the same, right? Um, it, so it. it I don't. This is strange. It's like saying you don't like dishes with potatoes in them, <laughs> unless the potatoes are fried. Wait, well, right, they, exactly. That's it. T tessels and potatoes are very, very similar things. They can so be as dull it, as so anything, chip, but you know, chips are okay, but mashed, no. Well, I think, I think, I, I think, I think. Uh, let's let's um, narrow uh, my uh, my prejudice down a little, even further. Uh, I th I think. It's anything from 45 mil onwards, I would say, because I've used, the, I mean, if there are a few Tessars that are uh, Tele-Tessars, aren't there? I mean, the, yes, there are. Yeah. yeah, and I've tried the Carl Zeiss uh, 200 mil uh, Tele-Tessar. I think it might be an F4 or 3.5. I, I can't remember what, what, uh, what it is. And it's not a good lens. It's probably the only lens I've tried in the uh, contact Yashica range that I was utterly unimpressed with. And that was, I actually uh -huh. went into that with the attitude of wanting to like it, believe it or not, as I, as I would do with any Carl's Ice um, uh, contact Yashica uh, lens. I, I want to love all of those things because I have that bias in me. Um, but it was, it was pr a pretty poor lens. I mean, it, it it, the reputation of the lens isn't particularly good and i got a ton of chromatic aberration with it um it just it just didn't do anything particularly well certainly compared to say a, a 200 millimeter 3.5 vivitar for instance one of the earlier ones i mean it's much much better lens ah but th this is from whence bigotry stems right you have the <laughs> one bad experience and generalize it <laughs> right because exactly. i will say that the Zeiss ZM85 uh, F4 Teletessar is the finest 85mm uh, rangefinder lens in my collection. And, it, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's stunning. Um, and it's a Tessar. Right? And it looks yeah. nothing like a bunch of other Tessars. I, it does look good. I agree. <laughs> it doesn't look I, like a normal Tessar, no. Um, but I, the, but I, I mean, uh, that's a lens I've not tried. And it's a rangefinder lens, and I'm, I'm, that's that's another thing. I do have a bit of an issue about some of these slow portrait length lenses for rangefinders because you know I'm not a rangefinder person. I'll I'll put them onto a, onto my Sony, and and I'll just be generally underwhelmed uh, by by most of them. And I can I get the point why they're not particularly fast because at the end of the day, a, fa a fast eighty hundred millimeter lens on a rangefinder is not going to be the but, most practical thing, uh, is it? But wait a minute. It's, it's a, it, so you're saying an F4 
it, let's call it, say like an f4 80 millimeter lens is a quote-unquote slow lens but it's almost like this it's like calling it's like calling a medium format f4 lenses slow lenses they're really not well no but, I mean, that, that, but that's a that's a function of the sensor size though or, uh, or the film size making a, making a big difference there Right, but it, it it's really not a slow an f four eighty is really it's not a it's not a slow lens that it, 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 saying that it's like maybe not producing it it, it doesn't have any character because it's slow. That's really not the case because at f four your depth of field super shallow. It's going to be like if you were it's going to look like you were shooting something on a you know a, a fifty millimeter lens. It's going to give a different sort of visual compression. Right, I mean, it's the visual look of it's going to be different. I mean, that's some that's some nice faint praise for it. Um, well, I'm just, no, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying you can't write off any no, you, any millimeter lens that's not an f two or something. Well, well, I, I don't forget, I am I am on record as saying that really portrait lenses. Um, I, I my favorite portrait lens. Not that I shoot many portraits, but I'm right. I'm very very happy uh, using a, an eighty five f two point eight. Uh, sonar um, and I don't really as much as I want a uh, Carl's Ice contact Shika 85 1.4 I just I really really want one of those lenses um, but I want it for the sake of it I don't necessarily want it because I think that I, I can do take better photographs as a result of having it I have that lens. It is it is really nice. There's <laughs> 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 a little side note here um, but <laughs> But you, you know, um, it's the, the other reason the Tessar thing is strange to me is you can have different lenses from different manufacturers with like all, pretty much exactly the same spec, right. and they look very different. So I'll, I'll give you three examples here: um, the Leica fifty millimeter three point five Elmar, which is a Tessar, even though Leica says it's not, it totally is. They copy. Yeah, Tessar. exactly. Um, the Indostar twenty two is a Tessar with a collapsible similar design. Uh, and then Topcore made a 53.5 with pretty much exactly the same optical design. Now, they obviously use different glass and I think different coatings because I have all three of those lenses and I think the Leica is the weakest by my measure. The Indostar is somewhat uh, better than the Leica, at least in terms of like handling flare and stuff. Um, and the Topcore pops like crazy. So I don't know what kind of glass they use in those Topcore rangefinder lenses, but they all have a similar... Uh, you know, some people online call it popcorn um, yeah. because of that look. And so you've got the same optical design across three lenses. And and to me, they look totally different. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't I can't argue with that. I mean, and that's that's certainly the case with uh, planar design lenses. Yep. I mean, most uh, if, most if, if well, I'm just thinking probably possibly all. I don't want to say all because there's always an exception somewhere, but uh, the vast majority of fast 50 millimeter lenses for SLR are planar designs. Mm -hmm. um, yet you, uh, yeah, the, there are substantial differences between, um, I don't know, say a Tomioka 55 1.4 and a Nikon AIS uh, 51.4. Uh, even though the actual basic design of the lenses is, is pretty much the same, they, they, there are there are significant differences in the way those two lenses um, render, and when I say they're the same, in, I'm, I'm talking about in principle in the, the the number of elements that are used. I mean the shape of the elements are different, 
um, and that's obviously going to be playing a, a big part in it. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I get your point there. And it's, it's just, it's been a case of the, the Tessar lenses that I've used and I've got one in front of me, which I, I feel, uh, that I'm going to, going to have to use after, after, after this. <laughs> um, and that's a Industar, what is it? It's an, I don't know. Actually, it looks like an N, but the uh, it's it's going, it's a Russian character, so uh, it goes the wrong direction on the on the diagonal. Uh, but I'm still going to call it an N, um, an N twenty six M. And in this case, because sometimes they do vary in focal length, uh, this is a fifty two millimeter two point eight lens. I think it's actually looks like it might be rangefinder coupled. Actually, yeah, it is. Um, so, uh, dear listeners, I will. Uh, I will go out and try and enjoy myself uh, with 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 this with this lens. Yeah, and um, I, I just want to read out a quick comment from Jason Lane in this thread that you've been ignoring because uh, I think it's it's really. Just... <laughs> well, Jay, Jason, oh my word! I didn't realize Jason was uh, involved in this. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think this comment you're shame, is you're very. Shame, you're shaming me now, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, no. He's he's not dissing you. He's he's uh, adding expertise to. Our our conversation, correct? Right. 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 Like. So I'm just reading it out because I, I actually think it's genuinely very interesting um, to to shed some light. So he says yes in response to a previous comment. Uh, design families are defined by how aberration correction is performed, what the resulting residuals look like, and speed and field of view ranges, not by number of elements or actual layout. Yeah. Although the family yeah. can be determined from the layout by a trained eye, and this is in response to. Uh, Christopher J. May asking whether five element Tessar clones are technically considered Tessars um, versus, you know, the four element ones. All right. Well, uh, thanks for volunteering to try out a couple of Tessars, Simon, and we'll eagerly await your glowing reviews when you're back. <laughs> yeah. Continue. You might be waiting a while, but I'll, <laughs> okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, so um, speaking of, uh, Tessar lenses that uh, are like a Tessar lenses that they don't call Tessar lenses that are also not 50 millimeter lenses. <laughs> Perry, I'm, I'm wondering if, so there's a lens that I have always um, been really interested in acquiring, um, but never seem to get around to it. And I, I'm wondering if you have shot the uh, 35 millimeter 35 LMAR. Uh, because it's a lens I, I'm very interested in, um, but I haven't shot it. I've only handled it. Uh, that is one of the Leica lenses I have not played with. Um, it's very common yeah. to find, but uh, I, I think you know people tend not to get it because it's fairly slow. Right. It's a three twenty-five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's one I'd be keen to try as well because it looks really, really sort of vintage in its rendering. It's not yeah. coded. Yeah. No, it's, it's it's and see th this is where I'm going with this because I mean most of the time I'm shooting um, for street stuff on a 35 I'm shooting in stop down anyway mm -hmm. and I think there there's something really nice about the thought of shooting this lens um, you know doing some street shooting with it it's uncoded I think it would have it for black and white would probably have a great look. Um, it's very small. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny lens. Uh, and I, I like the focusing scale. I mean, it's it's just it handles the same way a, an Elmar 
a 50 LMR would handle, but it's much smaller and it's 35. So I'm, I'm actually pretty keen to give it a try. I don't know if I'm keen to spend $300 on one, but I, I, I really quite like to pick one up. Um, but I, I really haven't talked to anybody who's shot it a great deal firsthand. Yeah, no, no, I haven't, uh, I haven't tried that one, but if I get a chance to, I will definitely report back. Right. I almost, I almost bought it a couple of times, but it's just one of those lenses where, uh, you kind of look it, at it on paper and you're like, yeah, there's just always something I want more, you know, exactly. exactly. I have, and I've, I've got so many 35, I've got it. I don't know. I don't have a lot, but I have the few that I have, I really like, and I don't really feel that I need, um, more, but it's like one of those flavor things. I'd like to just try it, you know? Yeah. So, all right. Well, so one of, one of us will get one of those at some point and, and the, the first to get it, will have to report back. <laughs> sure. So Johnny, Simon and I have confronted, uh, well, he's confronted his prejudices. He has. Do you have any prejudices congratulations like to Simon for finally, for finally owning that one, by the way. I, I, feel, um, like, I feel like I've just been through an intervention. <laughs> well, I, I did want to mention what I have in front of me. Um, I, me I mentioned one Tessar that I had in front of me, but I actually have another that I'd like to mention really quick before we kind of jump ship. And it's um, it, it's it it leads pretty well to one of my to my prejudice lens. Uh, but I, I have in front of me um, an Exacta VX, and on that Exacta VX is um, an. 80 millimeter f2.8 tessar which is a really nice looking lens it's sort of um it looks a bit like a diminutive version of the um the 75 millimeter um what you call it uh the Biotar? other side. yeah the biotar it looks they basically side by side they look kind of similar but the the Tessar looks a lot smaller and the rendering is definitely very, very unique. So I would like to actually try to take a few shots with this. And I actually, um, the, the reason I have it sitting in front of me is because it is on the, ca the camera that I have it on is the really beautiful, clean exacta that, uh, Carl sent to me. So mm -hmm. I, so I, yeah, so I have this, I have about 12 exactas, which I've bought for the lenses that were attached to them and none of them really work right uh but this one is beautiful it's working great this is the carl exacta and it has this lens sitting on it and this lens furthermore has two id rings it has one uh on top that says i've unscrewed it which is how i know it has one on, so on top that just says uh c z yena um without any red t's etc cetera, etc cetera. and then underneath that it has another ring, uh, which says, I think it says the full thing. Yeah. It says, um, the typical Carl, Carl Zeiss Jena. Uh, although somebody has blacked out the Carl Zeiss part, it's actually been defaced, but it is a red T version, uh, with a different serial number underneath. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> you know, on, um, just a quick word on exacto lenses. Um, I, I think there are a couple of these less popular and less common mounts. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking of exact mount, DKL mount, and uh, yeah. Contorex mount, yeah. where I think the lenses are just aesthetically so beautiful for yeah. the most part. Like, that's just as objects, I find them so pleasing to look at. 
I, yeah. I, t- I totally agree. And there's there's also those uh, they're not. I don't know if they still class as DKL mount, but it's those uh, like the Contrex. Actually, they won't be DKL. Uh, but there are some some lenses and some Schneiders and things where uh, part of the lens is built into the camera, and you've they effectively put conversion rings on the, on the front of the cameras. And some of those lenses are absolutely gorgeous. Mm, just, like the Retina Xenon, right? Yeah, but you just oh, yeah. but you, but you can't do anything. Well, just so I think we were talking about this last week actually. Rings, yeah, 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 yeah. They're just just so difficult to uh, to adapt. But yeah, they're absolutely beautiful looking lenses. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of beautiful and useless, um, <laughs> <laughs> we can go ahead and talk about my prejudice lens if you want. Uh, um, and I'm like, I'm actually going to say some nice things about this lens. Uh, so my 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 nominee, um, I've talked I've talked about this lens in the past, most definitely, uh, is the 58 millimeter Prima plan, which I have a couple of copies of it um, that I had lovingly restored, um, in in an attempt to love this lens. <laughs> uh and and i i i can't love it because no matter what i do i can't get a good image out of it and 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 see this is the thing is other people can and i've seen good images out of this lens and it's just me and this lens don't connect so i i know that my prejudice against this lens is really kind of unfounded because as crazy as it is and and again if you looked at the look at the optical design for this lens i like to say that either either or both the lens engineer designer folks um, over at Meyer were either on crack and or just handed a, a a bin full of spare lens elements that just were left over and they just mix and matched together a lens out of that because it really doesn't look like it makes any sense. It's a really strange optical design. Um, it's eccentric looking. <laughs> It's just weird, and and I th- I think it really does show up in the images. The images have, you know, that lens is known for having just very swirly sort of strange character. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but like I said, I have to admit that it's not it's not the prima plan. It's me. It really is because I can't get a good image out of it. At least I can't get an image out of it that I'm very happy with. Well. <laughs> this this I'm going to bring up another another one of your prejudices uh, because it will actually go hand in hand with this this lens, and I'm going to use the Boca word or Ufta as you prefer. Thank you. Yeah, Ufta. <laughs> yeah, and it's I think the 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 majority of pleasing images I've seen with that lens tend to be Ufta shots and. Uh, <laughs> And that's something that you you uh, studiously avoid. Uh, well, that is true. Yeah. Yes, that, that's true as well. And as we talked a few weeks ago, there's it's a double prejudice. It, it is. It is. And, it, and maybe it could be a triple prejudice because the most of the shots that I've seen that are super oofted are on full frame Sony cameras. So there you go. It's a triple prejudice. So I thought you might even be in a quad quadruple but I wasn't even the prejudice that the, the third one wasn't oh, even the oh, one really? I was thinking. Yeah. Because uh, the, the 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 final um the final one there, if unless Perry can think of another one, um, is uh flower photography. 
No, wait a minute, though. I don't have a problem with flower photography. Is that right? No, see, people just assume that because I, I'm not crazy. I just, I don't do oofta photography. But I've done oofta pictures of flowers. I've done that. I have. I've done it. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. No, I prefer wildflowers and weeds typically to like pretty flowers if you're going to oof to them. But I don't have, no, I am not one of those, those flower photography people. I am not a, I am not a flower photography hater. That's not me. Okay. Well, certainly, that, really I mean, those, those tend to be the, the shots that, that, that bring out the, Oofter and the, right. the the character of that lens in uh, most readily, uh, should we say? I mean, yes. Yeah, so there, yeah. there are going to be other types of shots. Um, um, most notably, the kind of shots where we uh, used to talk about Carl whenever he bought a new lens. You could just tell that yeah. he was, uh, you know, uh, looking looking for things lying on the floor or something that he can get reasonably close to to uh, to, to to get a to get a shot to see what you know what what the, what the lens was, was likely to do. And I, or a bench. Or a bench. Yeah, his bench <laughs> photos were legendary. Exactly. And I I I think that this is where this this is this is going here, isn't it? I I think we there's a couple of things. I think that you certainly need to get out and use that lens. You certainly need to be shooting it wide open and you certainly need to be doing it on a digital camera. Jesus. So th this lens, right? The primer plan. I think what's interesting about it too, is it's a very special purpose lens. Like you guys are talking about because yeah. in the world of, uh, you know, swirly bokeh, there's like the Helios 44. Uh, and then there's this primer plan, but we see a lot more from the Helios Partly because of the price difference, but yeah. also because the Helios functions much better as a general purpose lens. Right, uh, right, right. Whereas with the Prima plan, it really does seem to excel in, you know, the swirly bokeh portraits of someone with like foliage in the background and light pouring through, or like the close up of a mushroom uh, that makes the picture <laughs> look like you're on shrooms. Right. Um, <laughs> and the, the interesting thing to me there is the, the bokeh also looks really different. Um, you know, the, the swirly bokeh tree shots where the distance between subject and, and background is like, you know, the subject's at maybe two meters and the background yeah. is, you know, many, many meters away. Whereas when you're up close and taking a picture of a, a flower or a mushroom, and then you've got sort of water droplets in the background that are, uh, much closer, um, you get, you get the sort of, I don't know how to describe it, the, the typical prima plan bubbly bokeh. Yeah. Yeah, so so I mean, I think it's a special purpose lens, and I think it's it is easy sometimes to dismiss a lens uh, because it does something really well for a type of photography that you don't really do. Sure, um, sure. You know, I like I had an experience just the other day with my my buddy who he accuses me of giving him gas, um, which I think don't think is true. I think he had gas anyway, but he went and bought a bunch of Zeiss lenses, and uh, one of them was the twenty eight f two, the Hollywood Distagon. And he didn't like it because it, it, it didn't give him like proper beep confirmation on the on his Canon. And I told him, dude, look, the focus throw on this lens, <laughs> you have like five degrees of focus throw from infinity to, to uh, one meter, and then your other ninety degrees of focus throw is from ninety uh, is from one meter to like minimum focusing distance of about twenty four centimeters. So clearly, this lens and the reason why cinematographers love this lens so much is it's designed for close-up shots. And when he let me play with the lens, the first thing my mind went to was indoor shot in like a cafe 
with a mix of cool and warm artificial lighting or maybe some cooler light coming in through a window. So I dragged him away from where we were shooting street with this lens he was complaining about, dragged him to a Starbucks. We sat down, got a coffee, and then I took a couple of shots in the cafe with that. I was like, look at this. And, and he was like, yeah, that looks really good, actually. Yeah, special purpose lens, right? I think that's a, that's a great point um, because I think sometimes we'll pick a lens up and we'll just go out to do whatever we might want to do to do a, to do a test shot and the lens doesn't deliver and then you immediately write the lens off as being, well, it's not for me or it's just not a good lens. And but I, I but see I guess this is what part of what's my problem about the Prima plan is you're right it does that way work as a special purpose lens but it certainly wasn't designed to do that I mean it was designed to be a a, a sort of a um, a closer normal lens because it's a 58 right so it's a slightly long normal lens which would have been for general photography and that's the kind of thing that I'm not sure I feel like it does a really great job at, you know, which it's, there's a few lenses like that. I mean, it, that was its reputation from back in the day coming forward. And then it kind of got repurposed as a bokeh lens sort of in the same way. Like um, there's the Meritar and the Victor and some of those other, there, there are other lenses with a similar reputation that weren't held in very high regard back in the day, which now are actually kind of with, you know, being able to repurpose them on a digital, their reputation is maybe a little bit different or they're maybe, you know, seen a little bit differently. But that's the thing I feel like is weird about the Prima plan is that it, doing what it was designed to do, I feel like it's a little bit problematic. <laughs> Yeah, and actually, that 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 reminds me. I mean, I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast, um, but but Perry's here and he remembers everything that's been said on the podcast. So please stop me if I've uh, if I if I'm repeating myself. Uh, but uh, when I took my Asari or whatever, however we're saying that this week, um, uh, fifty eight um, <laughs> two point four Heliar uh, or Heliar. Uh, lens um, and I took that on holiday uh, back back in the spring um, where I took lots of uh, photographs of a crane outside my um, holiday apartment um, one of the uh, one of the shots um, and I, I posted a, a you know quite what I thought was quite a good shot with a uh, Schneider Kurtigon uh, PA shift lens um, and I didn't actually post a, a photograph taken with my Heliar and and it was you know taken on a tripod in exactly the same place obviously the field of view was was narrow because it's a, it's along the lens uh, but I, I took the shot you know and, I, and to get the focus point i wanted i, I think I, I think i stopped it down a bit i can't remember yeah i probably would have stopped it down because it's on the tripod and i got uh, some i focused somewhere where i wanted the, the the focus point to be and it was fine which was roughly somewhere in the center of the image and when i saw the photograph on uh, my computer i was shocked about just how bad it was as a in terms of overall image quality of a of a, of a, of a photograph and the the problem was i mean this shot was taken at night on, from a balcony looking over um the capital of madeira uh, funchal uh and it was just a you know it's a it's a hillside and the houses all the way over the hillside so there were lots and lots of points of light and 
the the center of the image was absolutely fine and then the, yep. the further out you went yep. then the, those single points of light were became more and more distorted and i think we're talking about coma here um mm, but it's almost yeah. like a bit like a comet's tail and, and stuff like that and it was consistent all the way around you know depending on if it was the top left or the bottom right it would it would be in a, a certain direction and this is something that when we when we had jason lane on the show uh probably a couple of months ago now he, he talked about this and 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 this was the first time i actually saw this phenomena about points of light and about how uh how, how those points of light were going to be dealt with and this is the first time i actually saw it actually in reality and and it was at that point when i realized that this lens apart from you know, i think i asked the question when you why why didn't anybody else make a helio helio lens in slr format since that lens and it could be it was just so difficult to actually correct the lens but the point is that lens was sold as a general purpose lens but I'm pretty sure there would have been so many circumstances where the actual imagery was letting people down. And that would certainly uh, would have been an example of how that lens would let people down. And they were so keen on producing high quality lenses, um, the, the Pentax people, that that was the reason why they dropped it, because they couldn't make it work and they found better ways of, uh, of, of making lenses. So I, I don't know. I don't know if... Um shooting light points at night counts as general purpose photography. Uh, but, <laughs> but I do think that the Heliar uh, design lenses, at least the ones that I have, they do have a very subtle uh, field curvature and a very subtle kind of swirl if you have the right kind of background, which will give you the effect at point light sources that you're describing on the edges. But it is that uh, partly that effect, I think, that gives Heliar lenses their tremendous 3D pop qualities. Um, and so, you know, I've been out shooting quite a bit with uh, my one of my three top core uh, Heliars and fully with the knowledge that, that it has this quality, just like the Voigtlander Heliar. And when it's stopped down and you're shooting in daylight, um, it, it, it renders beautifully. And I think I don't think it's a case of I mean, I think what I'm trying to say here is I think that's by design um, and and not like a. Uh, sort of flaw of the lens because what the Heliar does well, it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. You're talking about uh, a rangefinder Heliar, which are far more uh, common and there are, there are multiple lenses out there in that, that formulation. I'm talking specifically in the SLR type of lens, which just has never been repeated since. And That's true. And as much as, yes, you can say, well, shooting the... Um, points of light at, at night is not general purpose photography. It, it, I mean, there were some other photographs where uh, I'm not taking a picture of something relatively close. So it's just literally sightseeing photography. And yeah. the images are actually quite poor. Round, you know, softness is, I'm not sure if it is softness, I would describe it as, but the, it's not, you don't get a consistent um, view across across the frame and you could argue part of this is maybe something to do with shooting on digital instead of shooting on film which it was designed for but i suspect not i think that i think those uh um they they realized that this this lens didn't perform across the frame as well as it, it, it as say the the best lenses that were coming out of germany and that was what uh japan were trying to uh emulate at the time yeah, I mean that makes sense. It's just I'm I'm bringing up the uh, rangefinder Heliars because the effect that you're describing, I see them on my my Heliars as well. Um, but I think that that 
effect is a trade-off that grants the Heliar some of its more positive qualities. So I think it's by design. Okay. <laughs> so I love I love the Heliar. I think they look great. Well, well I do. I, I'm 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 a huge fan of them. But and, but uh, again, I would yeah, I would never shoot like point sources at light at night for precisely that reason. No, no. That, but I think that somehow we got onto this instead of, and this is all my fault. I've just realised. <laughs> but uh, we were talking about the Primer Plan and uh, and being a. Uh, designed as a perhaps a general purpose lens as as were most lenses back in the day if not all um and ultimately failing at that task so um so so johnny are you are you going to confront uh the the, the primer plan and uh, uh and go out and take some bokeh shots for us on digital uh, no i'm not going <laughs> to do it on digital i'm sorry it's not going to happen what well, uh, but i will put it on um so I, I have the end of a tail of a test roll uh, going through my uh, – uh, That doesn't sound like much of a commitment, does it? I've no, got the back end of a roller it, film that I don't care about, so I'll No, I'll no, no, I do care about the roll. I do. Uh, I've been slowly working through uh, a roll of film on uh, my Petri SLR uh, with that, that Oracore lens, the 50-millimeter F2. I've been slowly kind of working through that, taking a few shots at a time. Um, and I have a few frames left on there. I think I can't see the counter because it's so small. I'll put on my glasses and see if I can read it. But I could put the uh, Prima Plan on there, and I could try that out, and I could get a few shots. I th I think and it's, it's sunny today, so I could I could get a few Boca film shots with it. I, th I, th I just get this feeling you're hoping that that, that frame counter says 36. <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty much where I am with it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, let's. Uh, we we look forward to seeing that seeing those shots and at, and that uh, that shot that I was just talking about there with the the I'm talking about the, the points of light. I'll I'll share that in the uh, in our Facebook group, so uh, you can take take a look at that. And uh, I might actually, if I what I'll do, I'll I'll post a picture with uh, that I've already shared before in photography with classic lenses uh, the, with the 35 millimeter Kurtigon, and you can then compare it. Uh, to uh, to the shot taken with the Helio. Right. Okay. Right. Let, let, let's uh, let's move on because we have quite a few emails and some goodies. So mm -hmm. should we should we do some emails? We could do that. We could Good. do some emails. Well, where are we going to start? Also, I have to go get my glasses because I don't have them here in front of me, so I won't be able to read them. Okay. <laughs> So we'll we'll take a short break. Uh, while, we'll take a uh, short break for glasses. John, John, Johnny equips himself. Yes. Okay. Uh, so we're back, and I have a um, a nice full glass of uh, ginger beer wonder juice here in front of me, and I also have my um, my Petri Penta, uh, which uh, says it's on frame number twenty eight. So I have. You know, a whole eight shots or so to devote to the Prima plan on the rest of this roll. So, there you go. We'll do that. So, shall we um, continue on with the email? Begin with the email. Yeah. Well, you've you've got your glasses now, so let's I have see. my glasses too. Yeah, I failed to mention that. I I went to get glasses and brought with me glasses, a camera, and another. Uh, glass of icy refreshing ginger beer 
recipe to follow in the show notes. Um, email Ian Fleming, Ian Fleming, subject 127, Simon, Johnny, and Perry. It's 46 millimeters wide. And yes, Simon, it produces four by four super slides a la your baby Roloflex. Simon, I have HP 5 in 46 millimeter and 160 Portra in my film fridge if you need some, Ian. Well, there you go. An offer to feed your baby Roloflex. Whatever happened to the baby Roloflex, by the way? Sorry, what's sorry? The baby Roloflex. I've, Whatever I've, happened to your. It's, uh, I've, I've not finished the role yet. Oh um, my God. I need to do something about it. I think I'm about halfway through it. I don't actually know how many shots you get out of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm halfway through the uh, through the roll, so fingers crossed. I'll have that. Uh, I don't even know when I'm going to go out next with it. Hmm. Um, ah, well, anyway, I'll uh, I'll do something. And once I've actually developed a roll from it, if it works, uh, and if the pictures right. are uh, what I want them to be, then Ian, I may well be getting in touch with you. So uh, fingers crossed. All right. Very good. Uh, next up from Ian Fleming, email number two, Simon, Johnny Perry. I have a Ricoh R1 30 millimeter normal and 24 millimeter panorama with or without crop. It has frame lines in VF regards Ian. So I know this camera and I have uh, flirted with the thought of picking one up. Um, and I know that, um, uh, our our good friend uh, over at 35MMC. Who's that again? Hamish. Oh, Hamish. Yeah, Hamish. Yeah, thanks, Hamish. That guy, the Muffin Man. Uh, he 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 did a quick review in it uh, of this camera in a chat we were having, and he said, "Yeah, it's it's good. It's not as good as the Minolta." So essentially, it it has sort of two different lens settings it, it in 20 in panorama mode. It has a 24 millimeter lens setting because obviously you can, since you're only shooting the center, the corner vignetting wouldn't, you know, come into play. So the lens has a slightly wider setting, um, which to me looks really interesting. And I'd probably, I probably would like to try one at some point, but they're cost wise. They tend to go for even more than the Minolta, pocket panavision slash poor man's x pan which those go for right around 100 and the the rico r1 tends to go for about 150 us dollars i just so just, i was just gonna say just a couple of things first one i'm just just for people who just didn't realize this that this is in, in response to a part of the discussion we were, we were having last week about uh panorama um uh, cameras but the, but the other the other part is there is it's a 30 millimeter lens but when you move into panorama it becomes a 24 yeah. millimeter lens correct and it does something very strange um yeah. like i don't know what it's doing to the lens but it's like moving stuff around so when it's at 30 like i played with this camera as well because point and shoots are super popular in hong kong it's a 30 millimeter 3.5 lens normally and then when you switch it to the wide pano it becomes an f8 24 millimeter lens yeah so i have no idea what's going on but that's what happened so it's not just a case that it, the the shape of the opening that that where the lens is going to project onto onto the film is it not that just that the the lens is a 30 millimeter lens and it just stays a 30 millimeter lens but it no. but it has a, a a larger than normal uh ability to project a, a wider image circle and therefore you get more width but 
if that was the case, it wouldn't actually be a true 24mm lens. It's just a wider, well, almost like a medium format-ish um, 30mm lens. No, it's it's actually marked. I'm looking for a, uh, a, a picture of the camera itself, but it's actually marked on the lens barrel um, with both focal lengths. So I, 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 I tend to, I tend to think that what it's doing is when you're switching into panorama mode, it's probably moving the position of the lens slightly. Um, yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause there are cameras that, that like dual focal length cameras. Mm. There are, there are a few like that. Um, so yeah, I'm looking at a picture of it and it says on the front, right on the front of the lens barrel, it says 30 millimeter macro. And then it says 24 millimeter wide panorama. So I, I believe it's actually shifting the position of the lens in panel mode. Yeah. The, the fact that it's actually making a difference on the, on the aperture would suggest that as well, because if it was doing what I was saying, yeah. it's effectively just allowing more, more light to get to the film, but still right. being a 30 millimeter lens, but with the equivalent point of view of 24, it would still, it wouldn't be stopping down to F8, would it? Yeah. It'd still be the yeah. same. And, and the aforementioned, 35 mmc by i forget the guy's name that Heck. does that 30 yeah that, that hamish, hamish right hamish. yeah that hamish guy um so the, if you look at the there, there's someone who's actually hacked uh there's a great article of course uh, where someone's hacked the um the the camera to shoot uh full frame at 24 millimeters um, right. And there's, def there's de yeah you definitely get some vignetting in the corners but you can see why it would work out perfectly and masked panorama because you get none really along the edges. You get very little fall off. So, um, yeah. So kind of an interesting experiment there. Okay. Yeah. It's very, it's very funky in the corners. <laughs> All right. So back to, uh, the email. <coughs> so we've covered that. Let, let's go to, uh, York Wilson. Um, and York Wilson subject podcast idea, gentlemen, Thank you for your great show. It makes me feel slightly more normal and provides proof to my girlfriend that there are others just <laughs> like me, probably worse. Uh, I don't know if you've covered it before, but I would absolutely love to sh a show devoted to proper testing procedures for vintage lenses. I'm in the process of testing about 100 lenses that I've amassed over the years and I feel I'm just shooting in the dark. Info on the web is all over the place. Carry on, York. So that's an interesting, yeah. I, I think that's the kind of thing that could definitely devote, we you know, cover an entire episode, if not more, because I know in past episodes, Johnny, you've talked about how you check your lenses uh, after you've purchased them. When I yeah. was first on as a guest, I asked you guys, um, about how you sort of test and compare the rendering. But I do think there are a lot of people who use vintage lenses who have exactly this question, which is like, if I get a bunch of lenses, how do I check them, number one? And then how do I compare them and test yeah, them to right. you know, figure out what they're all about? And I, I think that's, I mean, it's a huge subject, but super interesting. Yeah, t totally agree. I, th I think we can... There are a few other areas around it as as well in terms of like you know buying advice and 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 so on, which we we did a show over a year ago now. Um, so yeah, I think it would make sense if we do do something like that in the near future. Yeah, that'd be a good one. I mean, it's like I feel like it's like literally my day job 
I like spend yeah. my day. I, I literally spend my day like looking through lenses to see if they're good or not. And I mean, not to like do the whole conversation now, but uh, th- th- it's sort of like a, there's a, a two pathways. Like there's a, lenses that are obviously going to be bad. And then there's lenses that are probably going to be good. You know what I mean? So yeah, that would be a good one to good one to do for sure. And I, I think there's so many different avenues to the, to the discussion too, both in terms of checking for flaws, yeah. but also checking things like, uh, you know, focus performance and then down yeah. to the granular level of how do you compare things like sharpness, bokeh, um, and all the kind of aberrations in a lens. Yeah, it's a super cool topic. Yep, yep, yep. All right, next uh, next email from our good buddy Jared Tremper here in Illinois, Cary, Illinois. Jared Tremper. Um, he his subject is episode one hundred, which does appear to be rapidly approaching, does it not? Man. We're three quarter, almost three quarters of the way there. Well, mm-hmm. we, uh, well, are we? Are we really? Yeah. No, 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 no. 74 is oh, pretty oh, close to three quarters. 74 is pretty close to 75. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I was, I was thinking about where we were on an annual basis. So, uh, so yeah, not as a total. So, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, well, we're halfway through this no, year. Not, not and then, yeah. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. D- Simon, to your point, you, we do have a ways to go. I don't, uh, thinking of it on a weekly time scale, we do have a ways to go. But I mean, you know, in another sense of, of thinking about it, it's right around the corner. So. Um, anyway, back to Jared's email. Hello, gents. I've been enjoying the addition of Perry G to the mix! Exclamation point. I Thank also you. love. <laughs> I also love the new intro from Chicago, Hong Kong, and Stoke on Trent. It underscores the global reach. And interest in photography with classic lenses as a genre, uh, the camaraderie and mutual respect and jesting is quite fun, which leads me to an idea. As the episode numbers in the low 70s now, it's a mere number of months when 100 will come along. I wonder what it would take to do to do it as a YouTube video with our venerable hosts and some special guests that have. Uh, punctuated the podcast to this point. Just a thought, since I think episode 100 should be a celebrated milestone. Cheers, Jared Tremper, Carrie, Illinois. Mm. What what camaraderie? <laughs> oh, I mean, and oh, respect for that matter. <laughs> Your respect for that matter. <laughs> and, and does anyone really want to see our faces? <laughs> <laughs> oh man i don't know i lo- i i gotta say i like the idea i mean y- mm, yeah you know i i don't know whether i'm ready to do do a uh uh mike gutterman style thing but you know where we could do a face cast and all that but i mean why not i mean i i think it would be i'm down for it i don't care whatever why not yeah it'd be fun yeah. it would be fun i need to tidy my room <laughs> Simon, like Simon's been worried about. We've we've been talking about this for about six months, and Simon's response is always, "I don't know. I got to tidy my room." <laughs> like he doesn't say that, but that's basically what it comes down to. And now he just basically says, "I ah, know I got to tidy my room." Yeah, but it's but yeah, it's it's it was something we we were having a, a quite a deep discussion. Uh, yeah, we at, really at, were at the, at the start of the year, um, and. And then we pretty much decided my room's too much of a mess, um, and uh, we've not really touched upon it since. Um, but but I, it, it is sort of a, 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's a funny old thing, isn't it? This, this episode 100 thing, you know, um, I mean, what did uh, Sunday 16, they, they went to the Ilford factory and did, I think, about three episodes, all, all of which were episode 100. And, uh, and then right. we've got uh, on, on negative positives with uh, Mike and Andre, uh, got absolutely bladdered. Uh, on 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 that show, um, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a funny thing, you know. Does it does it really matter? But I suppose it does, really, doesn't it? So uh, yeah, yeah, it's a milestone. So. Yeah. And the other the other part he did mention about getting on some previous people uh, back back together again, and of course we we have lots of experience of having multiple people on our podcast at the same time, and that always went well, didn't it? Oh, oh always, yeah. Um, <laughs> So uh, who, who knows? We'll uh, just leave the chat open and then send the link to everyone who's ever been on the podcast. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> exactly. Episode. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, maybe we'll 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 see what happens. It, it's it's a firm maybe, Jared. It's a firm maybe from Simon. <laughs> All right. Moving on to Peter Peter Maynard, who has subject and idea for an episode of the Classic Lenses podcast. Guys, hi. I recently found your podcast on a cold and lazy weekend here in Oz and have been pigging out on episodes. Loving the whole thing, already a junkie for old lenses, at risk of becoming a junkie for your show. In any event, one episode I listened to was episode 58 on the Hong Kong scene. The Hong Kong scene with Perry G being the full title. Uh, HK is an interesting scene in general for photography, and when I go there, I'm apt to drive my wife insane with my pursuit of gear and photographic shots. Long story short, I am not sure if you have stumbled on Big Todd, Big Head, wait, Big, <laughs> Big Head, Taco. Head Tacos YouTube report on Jeff O. Wong, a big time collector of all sorts of photographic gear, especially exotic classic lenses. Uh, though I do seem to recall Big Head Taco's name coming up, so perhaps you are at least aware of him. Uh, there is a link to that video here, and I thought at an episode featuring one or both of these personalities, if you could swing it would be great. I imagine your co contributor, Perry G, could contact them. And there's uh, some links here. Um, and then there's a link to Jeffo's Facebook page. And best reg regards, Peter Maynard. Uh, have you guys seen this video? I have not. Not yet. No. Okay. So um, on episode 58, uh, I referenced um, a group of Hong Kong sort of lens collectors who have all kinds of crazy expensive stuff. Uh, and, and Jeffo is like the godfather of all of them. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, his collection is nuts. And you, we're talking like some of the most exotic, rare, and obscenely expensive lenses on the planet. His Flickr page is interesting, too, because he has all of his lenses sorted in albums. Uh, oh. So you can click on, like, an album for just, like, all kinds of insane stuff. But but to his question, um, Big Head Taco Take, yes, I know him quite well. Uh, he's based in Vancouver, and he's a Japanese-Canadian dude. He comes out to Hong Kong quite a lot, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he's my buddy. I WhatsApp him from time to time. I've asked him actually about coming on the show, uh, but he's just he's super busy all the time because um, he reviews. Uh, he does reviews for like Leica, Ricoh, and Fujifilm, um, oh. as like jet setting around. And Jeffo, I've never met the guy, but I do know a couple of people who are good friends with him. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I don't know how good his English is. That's that's a big factor, obviously, for this podcast. Uh, but I can ask around. I mean, if he came on, it would just be, you know what? If people are giving me grief for not buying cheap lenses, then they can direct <laughs> their hate mail uh, to Jeff Wong over there. <laughs> uh, so I'm, somebody else to take the heat. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just look. I've. I've gone over. I followed the link now. We'll have to put the uh, the link in the uh, in the in, in the show notes. And I'm just going through his uh, his albums. And I was thinking uh-huh. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna find a cheap lens uh, just, uh-huh. just just to show you what uh, Perry. Oh. I'm, no, no, find, I'm, find a lens that costs less than like a hundred thousand USD, and yeah. that. <laughs> I I am really struggling here. Uh, oh yeah. my word! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, oh, there's got to be something. There's got to be something. Uh, no, that's expensive. That's expensive. That's expensive. That's, that's a lot of money. 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 The YouTube video shows like it's inside his sort of man cave, so you wow. can see the scale of the collection here. It's it's insane. Wow! Wow! Yeah, I mean, like, Simon, you should read out, because uh, Flickr is not loading for me right now, you should read out a couple of the lenses that you're seeing yeah, on these well, albums to yeah, give well, a sense. Okay, well, there's, a, there's just a, a little Angenaux M1 f0.95, uh, <laughs> which I, 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 I suspect is worth a few pounds. Uh, there's a Cook Double Speed 28 f2. Oh, my, that's massive. Unless the camera is very small, I can't can't quite tell from the photograph. Um, there are loads of Dalmaya Super Six variations in there, which are just great. Oh, here we go. There's an, there's some expand shots. That, that's a, that's that's almost in the uh, realms of uh, affordable, isn't it? Uh, yeah, expand. Um, have you have you have you got an expand, Johnny? Um, yeah, I have. I have. Uh... I have a couple of them right here. Um, they have a Minolta logo on the front and a nice little slide open. Hear that? That's the lens sliding open. Isn't that great? Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well done. Actually, I found something that, that's that, oh, it's almost affordable now. He's got a uh, – oh, no, no, no. It's not what I thought it was. It's uh, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a Jena Biotar 50mm f1.4 red T. Um, I didn't know that even existed, or I think I've heard about that in 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 dreams. Um, and uh, is is something almost normal? Uh, a Carl's Ice Planar eighty five millimeter, but the one point two version. So that, that's that's probably the cheapest thing on the page, I think, so far. No, he's got a Voigtlander fifteen millimeter uh, version three. That's kind of normal. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I see a Seven Artisans twenty eight one point four. So oh, well, there you go. And, uh, <laughs> And, and I've also found a Caulfield 45 1.9, which is uh, a lens I've used as well, which is uh, a nice lens. So there you, there you, there you go. Man of the people. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to Hong Kong. Wow. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Okay. All right. Um, uh, I think we're on our last email. Um, speaking of your average, normal, everyday lenses that everyone has, uh, from John Vandenberg, subject questions and opinion. What's the deal with Zuno lenses? Are they really that good, or do their prices reflect collectability rather than image quality? You never spend time talk. Wait, you yeah, you never spend time talking about the other Leica system with R mount. What's the deal with that? 
Are they not Leica? I love gear talk. It's one of the ways I, I tell, wait, it's one of the ways I tell if somebody knows what they are talking about. I compare opinions against my own experience. I have too much gear myself and there is a very big difference between what is essentially ad copy and image quality. Emotions from an image is a visual thing. And to be honest, most of the time I don't get it. John Vandenberg. Emotionless John, we call him. <laughs> well, this, this, I mean, the, the, just to cover the, the last, the last part of that. This is, this is the, um, uh, the, the balancing point from uh, yeah. Ian Barnaby Nuts email a couple say. of weeks ago, isn't it? He's the fader to his Yoda. Uh, ab- 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 absolutely. So more, more gear talk. Let's not talk too much about the, uh, the, 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 the emotional things and mindfulness and all, all of those, all of those things. So the, it, it just shows the range of people and the range of interests uh, that that we have um, with with the podcast, and and they're all valid. And uh, and it's it's always going to be a case that there are going to be some weeks where we talk about something that is particularly on message to, to certain people and not to others and, and vice versa. And then there are some shows that, uh, and you get, you get this with all podcasts, you're there thinking, Oh, I'm not so sure about this week, but I'll, I'll keep on plowing on. And then suddenly they come out with some gem of information. You think, well, I'm glad I listened to that now and stuck through the last, last hour because that was brilliant. But you know, somebody else could have a, a, the completely contrary uh, opinion to exactly the same thing. Yeah. So, oh, so what's it, yeah, what's what's the deal about Zuno lenses? Okay, um, so I can jump in here, right? Because this is not a che- this is not a cheap lens system. Um, <laughs> hey, I over mean, to the over, over to the expensive lens resident expert. <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta you gotta have one lens snob on a lens podcast. Absolutely. Um, the the Zunos Zuno didn't make a lot of lenses. They had an SLR system, which you very rarely see, uh, and they're better known for the small handful of lenses they made for the Nikon S rangefinder system, uh, and also for Leica thread mount. Uh, they are very expensive. The one that is the most, both the most sought after, and also the most commonly seen, at least here in Hong Kong, and the only one that I've I've used and tried is the fifty millimeter f one point one. That lens, what does it sell for, Johnny? Is it like a eight thousand? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's about eight thousand dollars, depending on what mount it is, and obviously right. condition. Uh, I think it's one of these lenses that's a, a definitely a character lens. It has a sort of sonar-like design um, and a really bulbous rear element for the uh, Nikon S mount one, at least. And it. I mean, to describe his character, it's super soft. I, I put it in the same kind of family as the Canon Dream Lens yeah. um, in terms of how it performs. It's super soft, wide open. Uh, it has, it has like, a pretty swirly, pretty intense swirl, actually, to the point where if you're taking a picture, like a full-body portrait of someone, the center is going to be in focus, and then their feet are going to be swirly. Um, and, you know, as you stop it down, it it looks more normal, but it never becomes... Uh, you know, a stellar performer, but I think it's one of these lenses that you a people don't buy it to use it. I mean, people just buy it because it's expensive and collectible. Um, but it it also has you know a pretty unique looking kind of rendering that if you're going for that sort of look, it does the job similarly to the Canon Dream Lens. But it's it's rendering is more unique. It's got more of that swirl. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I'm gonna say about that Zuno. There's, so well, I was, I just just quickly there was. Um, the 
seven artisans, fifty millimeter one point one. There were some rumours, and we've talked about it on the on the podcast before. There were there were rumours that 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 the seven artisan lens was based upon the optical design of, uh, of of that Zuno. And listening to you talking about it there, Perry, it, it's it makes you wonder. Well, was it based upon the optical design, or is it a case of it had nothing to do with it? Because <coughs> excuse me, the uh, the seven artisans lenses is not as you're just been describing it um, certainly on digital anyway and i'm sure it's uh, it's also very very sharp on on film as well because it's uh, normally like uh, uh, a m mount uh, lens so it, the, the, your description and uh, my experience of that lens it, it's it does not sound like the same thing at all no i ha- i had the 51.17 artisans and that looks much more sonar like like traditional sonar like it at least in the way that it's bokeh it doesn't swirl and the way that you know, the, if you're shooting like light sources in the background, you know how sonars, they have a particular look wide open. And as soon as you stop them down, they get more normal. Um, the, the Seven Artisans does that. The Zuno has a bit more of a unique look to it. Yeah. But I don't think people buy it for its optical qualities. I think people buy it for What's its it rarity, its collectability. Yeah. Were you, were you going to say something there, Johnny? I, I, was, I was just going to say, if we want to, if we want to talk, uh, super gas. Um, have a have a have a gander at the Zuno SLR. Just Google that up. Just Google that up, folks. Um, <laughs> because you'll never own one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. So there's the Zuno uh, SLR, which is a thing of beauty. And then there's also um, perhaps uh, our buddy um, uh, Mike Ga- Gassy Mike Novak. Gasmaster Mike, as we call him, Gasmaster Mike Novak, um, has in his extensive TLR collection. I'm trying to remember which TLR it is he has with the uh, Zuno lenses on it, but mm-hmm. those are now absolutely impossible to find. And Mike has a few that he picked up really cheap. Is, is it the the well? I don't know. How you pronounce it like Wolves W A L Z. Yes, it is. Yeah. Thank you very much, Simon. <laughs> that it is the walls um which has Zuno lenses on it so oh boy <laughs> that, that yeah. Zuno slr um it, it was like a it, it was made right before um like nikon started making slrs yeah and the one thing that i really don't like about it i mean not that i've ever like seen one i've only seen pictures i really don't like the font on the- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, Perry, I will, I will give you that. It, it almost looks like it's like it looks like Flintstones, sort of. Um, yeah, it's it's, the, it's, a, it's an ugly looking font. Yeah, the, the 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 typeface is really funny, where the like the, the ascenders are different on some of the letters. You know, in terms of typography, it looks yeah. like the, it looks like almost like the Flintstones font. Yeah, or from some weird Tim Burton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the design of the camera itself is is really gorgeous, and and so I mean, good good point about the when it came out. So it came out in 1958, which is right about the same time my uh, Petri Penta came out, and it's like there was like this little mini mad rush for everybody to do like um, a a different you know their own take on an SLR, um, and it was right about the launch time of you know, the Nikon F and, and it's when the first, uh, uh, Pentaxes were coming out. And to me, they all kind of look like variations on, um, 
the really early SLRs that that came out of contacts, the contacts SLRs that have the shutter button on the front. And they're all like some sort of a, a riff off of that. And I, to me, it's a really interesting um, era of cameras because a lot of these things were sort of like one and done. They were just, you know, yeah. they were out there and then they were gone. And the, the Zuno is... It's actually the the Petri Penta is very similar in a lot of ways. So I, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting. Um, it's just an interesting time period for cameras in general for SLRs. So, but it's it's just it's a beautiful camera that was very advanced and just poof, it was gone. So, yeah. And uh, <laughs> like a R. Um, yeah, like a R. So I mean, <laughs> since I've already offended the the hardcore like a fanboys at the beginning of the episode let's let's you know round things off with the let's same double thing. down yeah i'm, I'm all yeah. for that yeah look i mean when it comes to just like a lenses in general I, i'm gonna be honest here like i love Leica cameras i have way too many of them i only have two Leica lenses right now one of which i just bought most of the other leicas i've had i've sold off because i haven't really liked them um it might be a psychological thing where i think like if i'm paying this much more for a lens I better be getting that much more. And I just yeah. don't think they're optically anywhere near as nice as the Zeiss op- uh, options. I mean, there are exceptions. Like, can I can I list off a couple of Leica M lenses first that I really like before we talk about R? <laughs> just to give people some gas. I think the 52.8 Elmar uh, is lovely. I think the uh, 51.4 Summilux Asp Aspherical is lovely, but that costs way too much. Um the 51.0 Noctilux, that version is particularly nice. Uh, and I also, of course, love the 35 Summicron. But anyway, that aside, Leica R. The lenses are sharp. The lenses are pretty nice SLR lenses. They feel good to use. Uh, but I, the bodies have a lot of problems with reliability. Yeah. And they were built around an era where Leica was kind of moving away from their traditional philosophy of like, rugged well-built just gorgeous cameras in the m system and trying to compete more in a market that was heavily shifting towards slrs so to me the r bodies feel kind of half-assed and the r lenses even though they are nice i think for what you pay they're not good value for money um you know i think like contacts yashica lenses which are expensive compared to a lot of other slr lenses give you a lot more bang for your buck uh, than you get out of Leica R lenses. So the R lenses are, are fantastic. They're gorgeous. Um, but I, I don't consider them like, they're not somewhere I would ever put my money, even though they are nice. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they to me, anytime Leica defaults to the, de- their, it's sort of like their, um, their design of last resort when they're not sure what to do. They make things extra big and extra heavy. Yeah. Um, and look and like like extra like a beefy design that's like exactly what they did with the r stuff and i mean also let's keep in mind that it was the early r like r um cameras were jointly developed with minolta so there's a minolta equivalent for most of the early r cameras and almost without a doubt um the minolta versions function better because like a basically screwed them up so they they have reliability issues. The, the lenses are great, but the 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 camera bodies, I mean it's uh, they're just so they're so problematic. And I know plenty of people are going to say, "Oh, they're they're great. They're great. I've got a great one. It works perfectly." Well, you know what? Most of them that I have ever come across 
in my in my professional work they have problems like two tool one um so they're problematic cameras and i will even say that um one of my coworkers are now retired former coworkers who sold like us for a living back in the day they had a quota they they when they when they were selling cameras they had to sell a, a quota of our cameras so that the m cameras you know no problem sort of selling those at least reliability wise um, but the R cameras, they dreaded selling them and they had a number they had to hit as, as to how many they had to sell alongside the M cameras. So it, it's not an unfounded criticism. Okay. <laughs> I know some yeah. people will debate that, but it is not an unfounded criticism that the R cameras are not as reliable, especially some of the early ones. The later ones are a bit better. Um, but the lenses are great, but to me, they're just absolute overkill. I mean, they're just, yeah. you, you can get. You know, you you can get a similar quality and other from other manufacturers' lenses. You don't need to me. I don't think. I just think it's overkill. And I I know a lot of people like them for cinema, um, and they've they've gotten very popular as um, lenses to be converted for cinema. Uh, but I I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not sold on the merits of the Leica R system. And I, I'm going to echo what what you've said there. Um, certainly, when I've come across the. Uh, uh, a fair amount of like or our bodies um you know with auctions and and places like that and uh, yeah you do seem to seem to find a, a higher than normal percentage of uh of duds uh that yeah. some, something has has gone wrong um and uh but the other the other point about weight um certainly with the lenses i've i've only actually i think i've only actually owned i've owned three um Leica R system lenses, a Canadian uh, built uh, Sumicon R, um, 50, sorry, 50, yeah, 50 millimeter, then the uh, Sumicon 90, and I think it's the Elmerit uh, 135 2.8. And um, I was disappointed with all three lenses. Less so with the with the Sumicon. The Sumicon I thought was was a good lens, um, un, undoubtedly a, a, a good lens, um, but I, I just didn't I just didn't bond with it. Uh, but and it's you know it's got it's got a tough problem anyway. That uh, I'm I, I'm in love with my Carl Zeiss fifty mil one point four planar, so it's going to be tough to knock that off a top spot anyway. And I, I compared the two against each other, and they were largely similar. Um, so. Yeah, it, it, it's something needs to be really, really good to uh, get to my affections on on a, on a fifty millimeter level, and so so that so that was that. Um, the ninety millimeter suffered from a fair bit of chromatic aberration, uh, which I just wasn't expecting to see. Um, there were times when it actually produced some really beautiful results, uh, but there were times when it just didn't. Um, and I just know that something else would have would would have done better. So it, it's it seemed to be a lens that would work very very well in very specific circumstances. And if that was the type of shooting that you would do, then it might be an absolutely brilliant lens for you. And the the other lens was the uh, one three yeah the one three five two point eight, which at the time I just happened to have uh, a Carl Zeiss uh, contact Shishika one three five two point eight. And I'd also, at that point, I think I'd also recently bought the uh, Samyang 
135 f2 um, so I, I did a, a shoot off and I think I may have actually put some results in the uh, in photography with classic lenses I think I think I did actually um, so those are there if anybody wants to look, look them up um, but I was that point about weight uh, is, a, is, a, is a big point I mean especially with the 135s I was thinking, well, I've got three three lenses here, the different different kinds of construction. One of them was a, a faster lens, being the Samyang, and yeah, the quality, of the construction of the Samyang is not up to the contacts or the uh, or the Leica, um, but the the Leica just felt unnecessarily heavy. I cu I couldn't really see any reason why the Leica had to have as thick a metal on it as it as as it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just no, no, no logic. But I, I did. A, I compared that to the uh, to the contacts. The contacts was all, I'd only picked that up a week before, and that was a lens that I always wanted um, from you know, back back in the day. And I was, you know, really, really happy that I picked up this beautiful uh, contacts lens, and it did exactly as I expected it to. It, it handled beautifully, um, and it was a you know a really good lens. But ultimately, I was actually a little bit disappointed with the contacts because I thought it was going to be you know quite a fair bit better than it was. Um, but the the, the, the Leica lens was pretty much on a par with the contacts, possibly slightly sharper, but handling wise, I, I just really couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get over it at all. And, uh, but, you know, but I put them both up against the, the Samyang and I immediately sold the, uh, the Leica and the contacts because the Samyang just did what I wanted it to do in a lens just so much better, um, especially a, a 135 lens. And that the, the Samyang was, was, was my star 135, uh, fast 135, I should say, um, until uh, the Canon FD 135 F2 came along. Um, so, so yeah, um, that long-winded answer there is, yeah, great, great lenses. Um, even the ones that are actually Minolta's. Um, still, you know, they they good they 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 good lenses, but I don't know. I, I don't, I've I've rarely meet anybody that has any kind of passion for Leica or lenses. Yeah, yeah, and even on the cinema conversion front, the contacts Yashica Zeiss lenses are more popular, and I think they they probably do the job better. Um, I mean, when it comes to the R lenses, like the, you're right, the Somicrons are gorgeous in the normal focus uh, focal lengths, and then there's like the 180 APO Telet, which is supposedly legendary, but I've tried it. I'm like, eh, that's a good lens. Yeah, that's the I'm one really I'm going to That's the yeah, one I was going to mention. The, the interesting part of the email, I think he's got this question that says, like, are they not Leica? And I think part of it is for people who don't, like, um, shoot with, with Leica M cameras, there's a... Leica tries to me, uh, market a kind of mystique around its glass, Right. Um, and, and Leica users often talk about how they have like the best lenses in the world. And I, I just don't think that's the case. Um, they do have some of the, like, okay, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. Um, they often, you hear people talk about a, a Leica look. And I think that when you use a bunch of their rangefinders lenses from different eras, you can see how their kind of design philosophy evolves from their early lenses to when they finally figure out how to do things properly with the, the first Summicrons, to then a shift towards cheaper construction um, and higher contrast, lower resolution lenses. But I think there is a Leica look that's kind of a, a, it's sharp and it's pretty harsh. And I think I can recognize it in comparison to Zeiss rangefinder lenses. I just don't like it as much as the Zeiss rangefinder lenses. But on the question of are they not Leica, I think to me, no, they're not. Because in the same way that I think Leica's like point and shoot cameras today 
the rebadged Panasonics are not Leicas. Um, to me, like Leica, what makes or what made the company and its uh, cameras great were the M system, the Barnack rangefinders that came before it, and the you know some of the M lenses and LTM lenses with that philosophy of simple, small like high performance in something that is going to be built like a tank. And that to me is like the beauty of Leica and all the other fluff around it. As Johnny was saying, stuff like the 90 millimeter F2 Somicron, the original, which is like the size of a blue whale, right? Um, <laughs> and, and all of these modern special editions with just, uh, it, it drives me nuts. So, yeah, you know, the a la carte program. <laughs> that kind uh, of yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, as far as Leica goes, I, I love the M system and I love the LTM system, but anything else, I personally don't consider that like a real Leica. So yeah, their heart wasn't in it. It was, I yeah. mean, it, it came out of a, it, it honestly, it came out of a attempt to not completely fail as a company because they were in yeah. a really bad position at a certain point in the late 60s, early 70s. So yeah it was a it was a necessity that not a not a uh, you know choice choice of necessity and it shows i think yeah yeah and it's it's you know fitting that it was the m6 that kind of brought them back to life totally totally yeah and to be fair it's not just i think it's more a german thing than a like a thing to if you don't know what to do you just over engineer it um because (laughs) yeah yeah, because my i have a zeiss Icon Icarx 35S in my hand, which was basically the last thing they did before they failed as a camera company. Um, and it's completely massively over-engineered. It's the same design ethos. It's like they don't know what else to do, so they make it massive. Um, and I will just rest my case. I will rest my case on the Leica SL2. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, actually, it just reminded me of something there with uh, German um, design and the uh, where where Leica went bigger. Um, I'm just thinking about with when the with the with the contacts uh, SLR cameras, uh, the ones produced in Japan, um, famously, uh, at least it's famously, I think it's famously, um, they were designed by uh, by Porsche. Yeah, and of course. Porsche aren't uh, known yeah. for big, heavy vehicles, except when they brought out the uh, started bringing four by fours out, which, which, um, which it it sort of got got parallels with uh, what you're saying about make, making something bigger. But uh, it, it, but it, but generally speaking, we talk we're talking about a, a an industrial design company that are doing things um, of function uh, and form being being very very important together, and I think that's something that like a don't don't add it don't seem to have or they lost or it's as if they got they've got two different companies one making the the range find stuff and then another company making everything else and yeah yeah, yeah. but uh but yeah the contacts cameras uh, made in japan have, i think are absolutely wonderful things and uh some of them they did seem to get a little bit bigger in later days but then again they were going to because we had built-in motor winds and stuff like that so that's just a again it's a function thing well, I have a Contax S2, which was made in Japan, and I think that's um, uh, it stands out from the line because it's A, fully mechanical, and B, not that big, and it's just a thing of beauty. Even though I think it's basically just like a Nikon FM2, like, rebadged or something, but it's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. It certainly looks nice. So <laughs> no two ways about it. It feels nice as well. Okay. So it, it does. It does worry me that it is. It is just another casino. Uh, because there is a there are some big differences with some of the contacts cameras like the the aria um compared to say uh, an rx that I have i mean the uh, animal mystery's got an aria um, and it looks just like a normal contacts uh, one of the later contacts which you know with its curvy body and its good handling and ergonomics uh, but it weighs probably about half the weight uh, because there's so much more plastic involved in it uh, which yeah, it is always this contradiction that people like say, "All oh, these cameras are too heavy. I want, I want a lighter camera." And then I, w I would come along and say, "Yeah, I want a lighter camera, but I want it to feel as heavy as this one." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you can't. You, you you just you know pays your money, takes a choice. Wait, um, so excuse my ignorance here, but are, is contact? Uh, sorry, is is Casina and Kyocera the same manufacturer? Because the Contact S two is made by, and like the Contact T two, they're made by Kyocera. Uh, this 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 is where you start getting to those um, relationships between different companies, and uh, I've, I mean I've heard people say that a lot of the um, that it's it's a complicated one, and I, I, I don't feel expert enough to really um, comment on this because I've I've heard quite a few contrary opinions. But Kyocera was a, um, a ceramics company, I think. It was really big in ceramics back back in the day, um, and somehow it got it got involved with the uh, with with uh, Yoshika and Contacts and and so on. And I think a lot of these companies came together, such as like Tomioka was um, absorbed by uh, Yoshika or Kaisera and uh, and so on and so on. And there's certainly um, see, I, I always thought the the relationship with Casina came came later um, after Contacts had pretty much finished, uh, but. You know, it's it's a it's a period of time that I don't, I don't really know a huge amount about, and perhaps somebody out there might be an expert, so we can we can talk to them about it because I think there's a, I think there's a show on Contact Yashika uh, to 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 be done, so I can just talk about Contact Yashika lenses. Yeah. All day. Yeah. So um, one one day uh, we'll 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 talk about my favourite lenses. Um, I have a secret. I have a secret stash of Contact Yashika lenses, which are like my favorite SLR setup. They're so nice. They are. They are. Um, right. I, I think we need to start bringing, bringing things to an end, unless there's something that you guys want to get off your chest in particular. No, not really. Okay. Okay. So is, we... I, is, there, is there one lens that I can quickly uh, talk about? Is it, is, um, it, is it one of your cheap budget lenses or? No, I'll do it. I'll do it in my shout outs actually. Uh, Cause it's, it's, it's relevant. Okay. Well, uh, okay. I'll, let's just before we do the shout out, Sen, I um, just want to say uh, thank you to the people that have donated to us on Coffee. Uh, that's uh, ko-fi.com and just search for Classic Lenses Podcast if you want to donate to us. And the people that have donated are, and their comments are uh, Nigel Cliff. Um, and he says, uh, just don't spend the money, don't spend anything on Johnny's rod. <laughs> 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 that, that will have something to do with uh, photography, with, uh, not, uh, fishing with classic, classic, uh, classic rods that we did a, a small <laughs> segment on. Rods. Yeah, yep. um, and uh, we've also had donations from uh, Barry Carr, Alex Purcell, and Anonymous. And uh, Anonymous said, uh, "Love the podcast." Uh, so thank, thank you all for uh, helping us out there. We really appreciate it. Um, right. So then, let's do some shout-outs. Uh, Perry, you're going to tell us about a lens yeah. and other things. 
just a quick shout out to someone in Johnny's neck of the woods, uh, Robbie Jameson, who we mentioned last week. Uh, he has asked both Johnny and I for a recommendation because he's ditching a bunch of his digital gear um, and going pretty much all film. And he asked for a recommendation for a really nice 35 millimeter uh, LTM lens it, with a budget of around like 1500 to $2,000. And so I think Johnny and I both recommended the same lens, which is one that I have in my collection. It is the Konica UC Hexanon 35mm f2 LTM, uh, which is based on the lens in the Konica Hexar AF uh, point-and-shoot camera. That lens is a thing of beauty. It is the same size as the Leica Summicron. It is far better built than the Leica Summicron. Um, and it's black paint for people who are into that, and I definitely am. Um, <laughs> and it has it is very similar rendering to the Leica, but it's smoother. So it's not as sharp wide open, uh, but it's plenty sharp, and it's got a smoother bokeh and just a smoother all-round rendering without some of that Leica harshness that you get in the sort of third and fourth generation Summicrons. The hood is also black paint if you like to use lens hoods. Um, um, it's gorgeous. I mean, they only made a thousand of them and I love, I love the lens. Johnny, you like it too. I know. Yeah, I do. I, I, I saw, I've only seen it in person once. Um, and it was really beautiful. And a matter of fact, the person who had it brought it into the, into the shop and they were talking about maybe trading it for something else. I'm like, no, I, I won't, I won't even take this lens from you because you will, you will hate me at some point for taking this lens from you and 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 giving you credit towards something else that you'll you're gonna like but you you will always miss this lens you should never get rid of it so i i told him he should never ever under any circumstances sell that lens um which i would not do if i own it either uh so yeah it's beautiful i've just got this image of that guy walking out your shop swearing and i say well <laughs> where's the next camera shop i can go to get to get rid of this lens <laughs> no you know what i think he i think he knew better i just think he he had this thing in his head where i'm trying to remember what lens it was he really wanted i think it was like a uh uh similux you know uh like a 3514 and i think oh, he was no no no, no. Yeah, he, that's what that's what I said, Perry. I'm like, no, don't do it, you know. So, so I think it was it was just sort of he 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 wanted the mystique of the Lux lens, but I'm like, you you already have perfection. Just don't push it. You're good, you know. And I and I think he knew, I think he kind of knew that, um, but he had picked it up for a very reasonable price. Like I was, you know, I was like muttering under my breath that he was a real bastard um, <laughs> because he found it so cheap. Uh, but no, no, I'm kidding. I, but, but he, you know, he got it cheap. So he figured, well, I'm not as emotionally invested. And I'm like, yeah, but dude, you will never ever be able to get one again, more than likely if you get rid of it. So I told him not to do it. Okay. Well, have you, you got any shout outs this week, uh, Johnny? Oh, geez. I'm kind of pulling a shout out blank this week. Um, That's okay. I, I think I did last week too because I'm a loser, but uh, no, not this week. All right, we're all good. Okay. Um, well, uh, I'm going to put a quick shout out for the uh, the Minolta Riva Panorama camera, which we talked about last week. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, because as I've as mentioned, I've got this one in front of me on loan from uh, Hamish Gill, and uh, and on the show we were talking 
about my inability to work out how to switch the flash off because I was pressing buttons and nothing was really happening. Um, and I, I know that Hamish was shouting at us in the car, so shouting at me uh, in the car. And um, I subsequently worked it out for myself, although uh, Johnny also sent me some instructions as well. Uh, because that's, that's you, know, you, you do like to say, read the instructions, Simon. That, that's, a, that's a phrase you've used at me a few times. Um, and uh, and it was a case that with this cam you can shoot without the flash. Um, although I think Johnny, you suggested it might be a little bit flaky, but it's a case of if you hold the flash button down, it's a it's a flash cancel button. Um, if you hold right. that button down, it won't flash, or at least hopefully it won't flash. So um, exactly. so so that's good news. Um, the downside is that it's. The mo it winds on immediately after taking the photograph, which is something I don't like in a, in a compact camera. Um, but I'm still going to give it a go, so I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, and then my other shout-out is um, going to be just a regular thing now, uh, and that's the Six Towns Photography Club Darkroom. Uh, is now a weekly thing, and we hold it on a tuesday night um so uh if you're in the area of stoke-on-trent or not too far away and you want to come along to it and develop film and do all sorts of things and print and just just talk talk to us about cameras and stuff uh, um please come along um just uh, get in touch with me with me via uh, the facebook group or um twitter or all the places i'll men i'll mention later so um we're having a good time in there so uh, if you want to come along come along and join us um okay so that's it uh perry how can people follow you outside of this podcast uh on instagram and Flickr, i am p-e-r-r-y-g-e and also p-e-r-r-y-g-e dot com cool and johnny oh i'm just having a little stretch here sorry <sighs> well that felt good um you can follow me uh, on Instagram. I'm uh, at Assistant Photography on Instagram. Um, you can also find me at, at Central Camera Company in Chicago. Uh, most days of the week, I'll be there at the used camera slash lens area. Um, and you can follow the podcast, of course, at ClassicLensesPodcast.com. You can keep up with us uh, on Instagram at Best Vintage Lens, who's our Instagram partner. Um, Instagram show notes creator uh, over there so you want to do that for sure and you can send us an email at classiclensespodcast at gmail.com or contact us directly through the website at classiclensespodcast.com oh and be sure to connect with us if you're on Facebook in the Classic Lenses Podcast Facebook group excellent stuff and uh, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic uh, I'm on Flickr again Simon Forster Photographic I've changed that now um, I've not added anything on there for absolutely ages even though I'm paying for it now uh, so I need to do something about that but I've got loads and loads of albums with um, various lenses so uh, if you want to see what some what I've done with certain lenses then there's a reasonable chance I may actually have a photograph um, with, with that lens on there so just go to the albums uh, I'm on Twitter as Simon4 that's uh, Simon with F-O-R after it I've got a website where uh, which is called Simon Forster Photographic where I sell Ficas adapters um, what's that again what did you say <laughs> that'd be Ficas Ficas uh, uh, right. adapters um, 
and uh, also have an eBay shop if you do a seller search on ebay.co.uk for It's Fozzy then there's a reasonable chance you'll find me in fact actually um, I'm probably about the only person selling Firecast adapters in Britain I think uh, there might be a couple of people but there you go um, so, they're very popular in Italy however they, they are I'm, I'm selling a few into Italy even though it, apparently it's a really bad swear word um, so uh, so that that's it um, I think we're done um, okay so I hope you've uh, enjoyed this week's show and uh, it'd be good if you can join us next week and if you can be like Carl One, two, three. All right, uh, Perry, say something. Thank you. And uh, Johnny? Hello. Hello from Chicago. 